begin uh, because this morning and next week we're going to do a two-week series on global missions called Let the Nations Be Glad. And this morning it's about every tribe, language, people, and nation and this desire that we have had for a long time for the people of the world to come to know and for God to burn like a fire inside their lives and for God to be glorified in different languages and different tribes and different nations. Uh, Church historian Mark Knoll says this, the Christian church today has experienced a larger geographical redistribution in the last 50 years than in any comparable period in history with the exception of the very early years of the church. In 1900, Africa had 10 million Christians. In 2000, 360 million, which is about half the population of the continent of Africa. Also, there are 17 million baptized members of the Anglican Church in Nigeria compared with 2.8 million in the United States. And even though, and, and uh, Tom Lundberg mentioned this on the front page of the Star, and Tribune, Star Tribune, that the, the strongest religious conviction or affiliation that we have in America right now is N-O-N-E, none. But that's not the truth around the world. You know, it's a reversal in many ways of fortune that for the longest time America led uh, most countries, but it's, it's changed. The world uh, demographics has changed. For example, last Sunday, more Christian believers attended a church in China than all of so-called Christian Europe. Let's think about that for a moment. Unbelievable. Kenya has more people in Christian churches on Sunday than Canada. Okay, I'm not the best when it comes to geography and numbers, but I, I think Kenya is a little bit smaller than Canada. <laughs> That's unbelievable. More Christian workers, get this, from Brazil are actually active in cross-cultural ministry outside their homeland than Britain uh, and or Canada. That's remarkable from Brazil. And then also I just want to share this with you. According to uh, peoplegroups.org and also a, a project called the Joshua Project is that there's 11,749 different people groups in this world. And about 3,235 of those people groups are not reached by an evangelical Christian. So we asked the question, why do we do missions besides the command to go and make disciples of all nations in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18? or what Jesus shares in uh, the book of Acts uh, 7 and 8, uh, we do it, it's not old-fashioned, it's not antiquated, it's not outdated. We do missions because there's still people that have not heard the gospel in their tongue, in their language. There's still people who don't have a Bible in their hands, in their language. Wycliffe uh, we we uh, support Marty Alquist, who is a worker down in Dallas for Wycliffe. And Wycliffe is a wonderful organization that does Bible translating. And they celebrated their 10,000th uh, translation of a Bible in a different tongue. And we still have a long ways to go. Why do we do missions? It's exactly that. There are people who still have not been reached. So this morning, I simply want to share just briefly uh, two biblical truths uh, for missions. And then I'm going to ask uh, Dave and Judy Dolan, who were missionaries for over 30 years, to come up and uh, share about their experience of being missionaries in Taiwan and also their work in uh, Japan and China. And because, you know, I can preach about it, but I've only done short-term missions. 
uh, you know, we, we really need to have the experts come up here and talk about what it is to be a missionary out there and what it means to have supporting churches. So if you have a Bible this morning, though, I just kind of want to lay a sort of a theological groundwork for missions. And there's some really good passages. I think Romans 15 is a very salient one where Paul lays out um, in many ways uh, the importance of missions. And I think Paul is the greatest missionary who ever lived. And uh, who uh, better than to, to actually read the, the words of Paul in, in Romans chapter 15. And you can follow along with the slides behind me or your teaching notes or perhaps you have a Bible app. Uh, Romans chapter 15. We're going to take a, take a look at two sections, verses 9 through 12, and there's also verses 24 and 28. Let's begin with verse 9, Romans chapter 15. He also, this is Jesus, He also came so the Gentiles might give glory to God for His mercies to them. So right there, Paul is saying something that, that, that Jesus came not just for the Jewish people, but also for Gentiles. In other words, for all people. And as we read in Paul's writings, is that God wants nobody to perish. He wants to reach all people. So the 3,265 unreached people groups, God's dream, God's heart breaks for us, for somebody to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants all people to come to a saving faith. And then uh, Paul actually quotes from David uh, a couple of psalms here. For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing your praises to your name. In other places written, rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people on the earth. And then verse 12. And this talks about the coming of the Messiah where Isaiah the prophet, way back when, actually prophesied that there would be a Messiah. The heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles. They will place their hope on him. So in your teaching notes, one of the first biblical truths I want to talk about is the importance of seeing peoples, not just people. Peoples, plural, not just people. Because what we see here, what Paul is talking about, especially as he quotes in the Psalms, and I'll show that in a second in terms of the progression of his thought, is the idea that God cares about the ethnic and cultural differences being represented among the redeemed. Because the thing is, God is more glorified. If you are wondering what you know, God's mission is among saving, the, the, saving all people and having them come to faith, but also God is about his glory. Okay, God is about his fame, his reputation, the glory of God. That's what he's about. If he were to have like an itinerary, that'd be the number one task of each day, is that he, he is about the, his glory. And when you have just one group, which was the case for many centuries, the Israelites, who glorified God and worshipped him, that's one thing. But when, when you have a variety of, Thousands of different ethnic groups who worship with the Israelites. More is better. Would you agree? Yeah, you have people of varying languages who are glorifying God and, and praising Him and worshiping Him. And when that happens, it's like the glory of God is inflated. It, it's expanded beyond what was before. And that was His plan from the very beginning. We see this, actually. Paul lays the phone, uh, the the foundation in terms of seeing this progression. And in your teaching notes, I want to uh, draw your attention to this. This progression of thought. Let's begin with uh, 15, verse 9. For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing, sing praises to your name. So this is David saying, okay, 
we, the Israelites are sovereign. We um, have now the Gentiles subject to us. And he's talking about a time and period where uh, the Israelites were dominant. And these other non-Jewish nations and tribes um, were subject to them. But he doesn't stop there. Because that's not God's plan. It wasn't his only plan. It was part of his plan. Definitely to have the elect. Verse 10. Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. So notice that inclusion. He's saying, okay, Gentiles, all of you tribes and nations, worship Yahweh God with the Jewish people. And we saw that in Galatians. The importance of the Jewish and Gentile Christians who were coming together. But that was prophesied, that was predicted centuries ago by David. So it wasn't like also in the New Testament, and it's like, oh, Jesus is now going he's, to, he's here to, to save the Gentiles. No, this was God's plan from the very beginning. You can go back to the Abrahamic covenant, for example, and it's right there as well. But his plan was for the Gentiles to worship God with this people. Look at verse 11 now, another progression in thought. He says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. Underline that phrase. Now it's the fact that the Gentiles don't necessarily need to be with Jewish believers, but they can worship God on their own. And for Gentiles in that day and age, that would be new information, that they could actually worship Yahweh God and actually sing to him and actually give offerings to him on their own. It's like uh, not having a, sort of in a sense right here, sort of like a, a Jewish authority being with them. They could do it on their own. So right there, we see that. So number one, David rejoices over the nations subject to him. Number two, the progression is, next, the Gentiles are elevated to worship with Israel. Number three, the Gentiles praise God on their own. All the people of the earth, or in the, in the Greek, it's actually all the peoples on the earth that all would come to know God and worship him. Isn't that beautiful? That God delights. He delights in all people, of all color, of all tribes and languages and tongues who come and sing just like we did right now. And that's happening around the world. The second biblical truth that we see for missions is this, and this is very important. The importance of a sending and supporting church. It's not old-fashioned. It's something that we need for us to actually go out, and not to go out, but to support and send out uh, those who are on the mission field and support them. And you have a bookmark, and our kids have a bookmark of the missionaries that we support. And I love what we're doing. And I, my prayer is in about, I don't know, five or six or seven years that we double the number of missionaries that we have, that we have missionaries in different parts of the world that we have not uh, supported yet. But the importance here is of a sending and supporting church. Look at verse 24, as Paul talks about in terms of the importance of having support. Because when missionaries go out there, it makes a big difference. Verse 24, I am planning to go to Spain And when I do, I will stop off in Rome. And after I've enjoyed your fellowship for a while, you can provide for my journey. In other words, he's saying, I need your help. I I need your financial contributions. I need clothing. I need food for this journey. The importance of a sending and supporting church. And this is the greatest missionary around. I mean, Paul had all sorts of connections. Yet he's asking the Roman church for help. I love that. Verse 28. He adds on, and as soon as I delivered this money 
and completed this good deed of theirs, I will come to see you on my way to Spain. Or in literally in the Greek, it's by, uh, by the way of to Spain. By, by, excuse me, by the way of you to Spain. In other words, they're going to help him get to Spain. By the way of you to Spain. And that's what it, he's talking about. He's, he, he's talking about the, the need for support. The need for help as he goes out. And that's why we do missions, because we are called to support and come alongside missionaries. And I am so happy that this church has always been a church that has supported missions. And we're so happy as a leadership team to see our our level of missions giving go up a percent. Now it's 12%. I know churches that give 20% to missions. Because they want to knock off that 3,265 num- number. They want to, the, for the gospel to get out to people who are not reached. And there is an importance of a sending and supporting church. Now in your teaching notes, or excuse me, on the slides behind me, you're going to see this. Where Paul talks about this in terms of the church at Philippi. Because they were partners with him. We see here with him in the church in Rome, is he's, he's, he's inviting their, their help. But the church in Philippi helped him. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice the Lord greatly that now at length you have renewed, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So the, the church at Philippi was concerned now, and they wanted to help Paul in his missions, but they didn't have the opportunity. Chapter 4, verse 10. Moving ahead to verse 14 and 16. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Of all the churches he planted, of all the, the, the network that he had, the church of Philippi was the only one that came alongside to partner with him. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And we read down in terms of how, how did this happen? How did these gifts get to Paul? Backing up to Philippians chapter 2. Who was it that brought these, the financial contributions to Paul? I mean, they didn't have PayPal back then, right? It wasn't like Federal Express existed back then for uh, these things to get to Paul. So we find out that Paul talks about Eraphroditus. He calls him your messenger and your minister to my need. Eraphroditus came down, tracked Paul, and gave him um, this, these finances and food and clothing and help. And then in verse 29, verses 30, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for, so on and so forth. It's interesting to me that Paul does not say, hey, Eraphroditus, I need some help out here. He sends them back. He sends them back to the church of Philippi because Paul is underscoring the importance of a sending and supporting church. He needs people back in their churches support them. So this morning, I invited David and Judy Dolan to share their story of over 30 years of missions, of them going out in the mission field and having churches supporting them and praying for them. And also, uh, we're going to have pictures uh, scrolling by as they share. And like Judy told me, it's pretty hard to summarize 30 plus years of of missions in about 15 minutes. But we're going to do our best. So let's have Dave and Judy come up here. Let's give them a hand. Thanks for being here. Yeah. 
So let's just kind of begin with that. I think that first question, the obvious mm-hmm. question is, you know, at the point of life, your life when you uh, were contemplating missions, why did you choose missions? Mm-hmm. Well, we had just been married for a couple of years, and uh, during our early married life, we'd always been open to the possibility of missions. In fact, before we were married, uh, we made a commitment to go wherever the Lord wanted us to go, uh, even if it meant overseas. Well, I ended up uh, teaching for a couple of years uh, elementary art in Little Falls, Minnesota. And while we were there, the Lord continued to speak to our hearts about the need in so many other places in the world. The fact that here in the States, you know, you drive down the street and you have a church on it, three corners. Uh, uh, You turn TV on, you've got programs proclaiming the gospel. People have so many opportunities here to hear about Christ, but in so much of the rest of the world, uh, they may not. And Asia was a big one. And um, we we, uh, asked about the possibility of maybe my teaching in a a missionary school overseas and uh, contacted the mission, and they said, well, you know, uh, if you'd be willing to be retrained, you know, we have a place for you. So I ended up going to seminary at North Park for two years uh, before we went out to Taiwan. And let's, let's talk about Taiwan okay. and tell about your journey there yeah. and uh, the things you experienced. Well, Dave's going to tell some of the more specifics, but I kind of wanted to paint a picture yeah. first yeah. because it's the picture that's so exciting to us. Um, you know, uh, the original ministry to Chinese people was on mainland China. And that was the missionaries way back in the 40s, and you know, mm-hmm. 40s mostly. Even before that, 1895, the first missionary from the covenant went to China. Mm. So a long history in China. But World War II came, and everybody had to leave. It was heartbreaking. So many of the missionaries at that time didn't know quite what to do. Some went back to the States. But then there was this group that decided, well... You know, there's a lot of refugees going from mainland China from the war to Taiwan. Mm. And so after a big discussion, they decided to start a new work in Taiwan among the refugees. And, uh, you know, I, I just love the picture in the Bible that God gives us, that he invites us to sow the seed. And uh, what a privilege that is, yeah. really. Yeah. He says he will sow and he will produce the growth. (laughs) So those those beginning missionaries in Taiwan did the hard plowing. I mean, very hard plowing. And they, um, I know they got discouraged. That's when, you know, people praying really makes a huge difference because there can be discouragement. You talk about the hard plowing. Yeah. There there weren't many results, you know, and I'm kicking Mm -hmm. off stats on what's happened now. Yes. But back then, it was a different story. No, it was hard. Yeah. And people were, you know, in the refugee status. In some way, maybe they would listen because of that. But it was a lot of things going on in people's lives. Some people have told us they, you know, hardly had anything to eat, sweet potatoes. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was hard. And, um, you know, some of the missionaries eventually left or retired. And, um, but during that time, there were some churches planted. And uh, by the time we got there in 1976... There was only one couple from that early missionary time left. And then Dave and I appeared on this scene in 1976. There were 12 churches, 
and a total membership of 600 people. Hmm. And a large church would have been about 50 to 70 people. So the amazing thing is, in this whole story, is that those early missionaries never saw what God yeah. did with the seed they yeah. planted. Yeah. And we had the privilege of watching the growth, which was amazing. And, um, you know, one of the things that happened is there were some really good church planting principles uh, in, even in those early days, to once churches were planted, to pull back and to push forward Chinese co-workers. Mm. So by the time we were there in 1976, all the churches were self-supporting, even though they were small. Mm. And um, so then an amazing thing started to stir in the country. It had been under martial law all that time. We were, it was under martial law when we were there. But in 1979 or 87. Uh, the government dropped martial law and there started to be a new energy in the country that kind of came into the church too and some of those early people that were the fruit of the early missionaries became the implementers of some of the church growth they weren't they weren't pastors they were lay people and uh, we had the privilege of seeing some of these new Chinese co-workers come in with vibrant hearts they liked the church planting principles of the covenant. Yeah. And Dave was in the seminary. You know, yeah. he was in the seminary, so he met a lot of them. Mm. And we had the privilege of having new people come in that drove the future. And so it was kind of a, a, you know, an effort of a lot of people. We all did our little, our things. Yeah. And, um, but it was such a privilege. And by the time we got to 2012, when Dave and I retired, <clears throat> there was the most amazing celebration. 60 years of ministry in Taiwan, they had to rent the stadium of National Taiwan University to hold everybody because it was 45 churches and over 12,000 people. Mm. But God produced the growth in his time. That must have been moving. It was very exciting. Yep, very exciting. Yeah, as we so, looked at uh, <clears throat> our time in Taiwan, uh, some of the specifics. Of course, when we arrived, language study was our first task. We spent two years in full-time language study, and after that, we went to the south part of Taiwan, where we worked with a couple of pastors in uh, several small churches down there, trying to firm up our language ability. <laughs> our second term, we came back and uh, were uh, put, in, uh, to, put in place to help start a new church in the Taipei area along with the Chinese co-worker. It turned out that that co-worker needed to go to seminary and I needed to finish one year. So we both were at uh, China Evangelical Seminary in Taipei. Uh, and Dave did that in Chinese, so that solidified his language. <laughs> also gave me a neck ache for the first couple of weeks trying to concentrate on what the instructors were saying. Anyways, that's another story. But... Uh, the second term then, we planted a church, and then from then on, uh, one of the things that had been on Judy's and my heart was a small group home Bible studies. Both of us have been greatly influenced in our spiritual lives by small groups, and uh, we could see that it might be helpful for the church there in Taiwan. So following uh, that time of church planting then, the rest of our time was spent in five different churches, helping them start small group home Bible study programs. 
Eventually, the small group uh, idea came in from uh, both Korea, South Korea, and also Singapore, and, and uh, so many of our churches, most of our churches, uh, use small groups now. And uh, we're, we're very grateful to have been a part of that. And uh, by 1999, the church in Taiwan, our church, the Covenant Church, was pretty well established. They were doing church planning. They were sending out missionaries. Uh, they felt they didn't need church planning missionaries anymore. Well, at the same time, we got new leadership in our mission in the States. Uh, Jim Gustafson, uh, formerly from Thailand, uh, came in and he asked us to be uh, coordinators for Chinese ministry for the denomination. So prior to that, our, our work was mainly uh, with the Chinese people. As coordinators, our work was with people working with Chinese people. So it was a bit of a change for us. And and uh, I don't know. I, I think we like the first part better, but uh, the second part part was important because there was nobody else to do the job at that time. So uh, we were responsible for caring for missionaries in uh, Taiwan, mainland China, and eventually Mongolia. And uh, as a result of, of that role, we also were involved in uh, uh, organizing pastors' vision trips for Taiwan and China, where they would be invited to come and see what the Lord was doing in Asia. And it really made a difference in a lot of not only pastors' minds, but their churches as well. Another thing was small group, uh, or, or how should I say, English, English uh, programs. And uh, we had churches coming to us and asking if we could organize teams to come and help them in the summer use English as an outreach. And so uh, we had teams coming from 2004 to 2009 uh, that would go into various churches and teach English for a couple of weeks. And it was really a positive time, uh, not only for the churches, but for those short-termers. If you uh, look real hard in one of the slides, you'll see Jim and Kathy Roskins <laughs> from church. They went. It's we, kind of like a fine Waldo, but no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but over 150 people went to Taiwan in the wow. summer program from wow. churches, mostly in Minnesota, actually. Yeah. And you shared with me that um, just before the service that uh, you talked to people that had never heard the word Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just describe what that was like. Yeah. And then leading people to salvation. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people here have never had that experience yeah. of yeah. leading somebody to faith. Yep. Mm -hmm. that, that was in China mostly. People who had never heard. They knew all about Mao Zedong. <laughs> but they didn't know about Jesus. Yeah. And uh, one of the ministries that we, you know, it's, it's a big ministry that there was an Oasis training center up in northwestern China in Gansu province that was... Uh, staffed by Americans from the Covenant. And um, they had a profound ministry, two-year immersion uh, school for some of the kids in that area that it, they would be post-high school that had no opportunities. Yeah. And those kids, those young people, many came to faith. In fact, one of the women that taught out there, she's in her 80s, she just took her last trip to China and went and found all those students, and many, many of them mm. know the Lord. Mm. Very touching, yes, but they, many had not heard. Yeah. And, and just tell us the importance of having mm -hmm. uh, 
that, that second uh, thing I talked about, ascending yeah. and supporting mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As you were out there, yep. well, what, what difference does it make? <clears throat> mm -hmm. It's a part of a, how can I say, we always felt our supporting churches, our sending churches, were a part of the whole process and an important part because of mm -hmm. where we were out there without uh, a lot of ch uh, church support. Uh, so to know that there were people not only supporting us financially but praying for us and really uh, interested in what we were doing uh, really made a difference in our being there. Mm -hmm. So through those English classes and people coming out to serve as short-termers, uh, it was a real encouragement. And, and through those short-termers, they went back and told their churches about what was going on, and other people came, and, and it was a good way to really uh, pass on that vision for, for uh, sharing the gospel. And Judy, what would you say mm -hmm. uh, to our church? Mm -hmm. looking ahead towards, you know, our support of missions. Yeah. Uh, why do it? Well, I, I like to look at it as the church is part of it. Yeah. The, you're the arm. We're the arm. The missionaries are the arm that goes out. But how wonderful it is to have the enabling of the church. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, without it, we wouldn't have missions. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an amazing partnership. And uh, one we were grateful for, and then, you know, as you come back and you re-engage with the church and share, having people interested, having people say, I'll pray for you, um, writing notes now and then, it's really a wonderful, wonderful support. Mm. Yes. Thanks so much for sharing. Yeah. I asked uh, Dave, mm -hmm. one of my favorite things is, is to hear prayers in, in different languages. I asked Dave to uh, pray us out here in Mandarin Chinese. Go ahead, Dave. <laughs> 所以的天父我们为你丰富的恩典感谢你 或者是自己去短宣，或者是自己有机会在他们的环境传你的福音，所以我求你保守我们每一位，使我们都是依靠你来参加这个重要的工作。我们这样子祷告，奉靠主耶稣基督的名，阿门。Amen, amen. Let's